What does it mean to be a hero? That's a bloody good question. G'day, I'm Bernie Shakeshaft. I'm the 2020 Australian Local Hero of the Year. But it's that word, hero. Oh boy, they're big boots to fill. And today, we're talking with another everyday hero to find out just what it takes. Everyday heroes stamp their boots on the ground. Those of us who can remember as far back as our school days can probably recall having a scrap or two with someone. Normally, there's nothing too serious. And remember the old well-worn saying, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me? Yeah, well, we've all been there at some stage. But tragically, there can be a real ugly side to those sorts of behaviours. A one-off comment turns into all sorts of attacks. Physical, verbal, mental, and nowadays, add online bullying to the brutal mix. Kate and Tick Everett, they know that journey tragically well. Their story is a tough one to tell. A story about Dolly's dream. Dolly was one of their daughters. I wish I didn't have reason to speak to Kate and Tick now, but the harsh reality is that these conversations we must have as a community. So good on you guys for helping out in that space. Before going further, if there is anything in this podcast that you or anyone you know may be troubled by, please reach out to any number of services, including Dolly's Dream Online with access to lots of help, but there's also organisations like Lifeline, 13, 11, 14, and Beyond Blue, 1-300-224-636. Kate and Tick Everett, uh, lovely to have you here, guys. Um, I guess life can change uh, in a heartbeat at um, times, and I'm a parent, and when I listen to your story, I go, I just I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one of your own children. Um, something weird about uh, children passing away before their parents. Uh, you guys know that pain and... Um, and I guess, what do you do with that stuff um, afterwards? You guys have um, lost a 14-year-old, beautiful little gorgeous girl on the planet. What do you, I mean, most people would sit in a hole probably and try and never to come out of it. Uh, you guys did something different. Tell us about Dolly's dream. Well, that looks like I'm starting off. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it is, mate, you, you know, you're dead right. Um, it is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, and it, it's a nightmare that, that will never stop. Um, and, you know, I, speaking for myself, it's what we've done with Dolly's Dream is, has been a great distraction, you know, to the heartache and the, and the pain. But um, on the other hand, it, it's got a lot of upsides. You know, it's you're, um, you're, you're right, you're in a miserable black hole that you don't want to get out of. And then, you know, you talk to these young kids or these parents that, you know, have listened to our story and, and changed their path. And, realise that you've helped someone it's um that's the kickback that you get so um it's you know basically the charity was just set up just to start the conversation about bullying you know the consequences of it whether it be you know obviously it was around the tweens the you know the teen thing but it's grown into you know from toddlers when they first get a bit of bloody technical device right through to an adult you know it's it's just a conversation that keeps growing and growing and growing and um you know we don't we don't have an end goal everyone mm. says what's your end goal at the end of this and mine is like well how long's a piece of string you know mm. we said about social media straight up we thought that was a big cause of what we get faced with these days and we had a lot of good people behind us that could rally the right people and you know just from simple things to how many likes you get on your photos or whatever on social media now you can't see it. you know other people can't see that it it's little things like that you know mm. we thought that would be a four or five year task i think it took less than 12 months um and in saying that i think it took that time because everybody knew it was a serious a serious thing you know it wasn't a it wasn't just a one-off you know dolly's not a one-off girl she's she's unfortunately she's one of buddy thousands you know around the world hundreds of thousands of kids um and people say why why are you so special like why why was dolly different and i'm like well she wasn't mate it's not it's not about that it's about the next kid and the kid after that and the mum or the dad or the grandparent 
So, you know, it's it's definitely not, definitely never set out to be a cause, you know. I mean, Dolly was a, one of the two of the most special things we ever had in our world, but, you know, to the rest of the world, it, it's not like that. So mm. there has been a big, big emphasis on, you know, this is about every other little Dolly or big Dolly or whatever. You know, that's why we did what we did, so. Kate, how did it kind of kick off? We are uh, sitting around. Who, who's the ideas factory here? You're the ID department, helping both Tick and I out today. I think it was a bit of a team effort, to be honest. Um, you know, we're pretty practical kind of people, so we didn't want people to be coming in mourning and, you know, spending $100 on a bunch of flowers. And mm. we kind of come up with the idea that, you know, in, in lieu of flowers, we'd, we'd do something else and in the, you know, the lead up to her funeral. Um, I think Tick actually coined the name and we came up with Dolly's Dream and we thought, what if we can raise some money and, you know, and we do one little project, you know, like $20,000 or we we just set up a memory, whether it's a blue bench or, you know, somewhere where people could sit and, you know, someone would know that they needed help or what. We we really had no idea and um, I don't know. we just seemed to attract people who were willing to help us out, and um, and you know within within a month we'd raised you know several hundred thousand dollars, and mm. we'd met with the Lana Madeline Foundation, who you know obviously have have backed us, and um, we sort of fall under their umbrella. But you know they had all the inner workings of of running a charity, which we knew nothing about, and. Um, Basically, the dream came about sitting outside, thinking about Dole, thinking about how we're going to get through the day, let alone the next week. And um, I said, "Why don't we? Why don't we do something that lasts a lifetime? And you know, hopefully, we can change the course to, for another family because this is this is the bumpiest road you'll ever be on. So we don't, no family needs to ever be here." Um, do you think it was about helping you guys get through it, or going for Christ's sakes, don't let this happen to somebody else? I, th- I think initially it was like cross act, don't let this happen to anybody else. Um, and and probably as we've gone on, um, different events and different engagements and, and meeting different people has all obviously been part of the healing process and whether it's helped or, or traumatised some more or thrown a detour in there, um, you know, it's all, it's all part of the process. But I, I guess what we have also found is there is so much positivity and there is so many good people and there are so many good causes and I and I think that's played a part. And, you know, people people constantly say it's it's just two years, you know. So many people aren't coping after any trauma in two years and, and you guys have built this. So, I mean, those kind of compliments and um, um, recognition, I guess, does, does help the healing, you know, process. Um, we probably put a lot of pressure on ourselves and um, we don't get it right all the time. But Seriously? You guys don't get it right all the time? Oh, no, we don't get it right <laughs> Come on, all Kate the time. Come on, Kate, from IT. <laughs> Tick and I were the first ones at the party here this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, we've got each other and we've got a ripper of a crew around us and, um, you know, we, we're pretty lucky like that. And another gorgeous daughter. And another gorgeous daughter. The reason to... Um, we, you know, and we did say right at the start, what if we don't, if we don't teach her how to recover, who's going to do it? So um, it's a pretty good incentive to get up and find something pretty positive to do with your life after this. What is Meg? What does she think? What is she nineteen now? Is that right, Tick? Yeah, no, she actually just breezed through the office here before in a sprightly little bloody self. So um, which was great to see her, but um, I don't know. I think she's proud of what's happened obviously she's like us and she'd give it all up in a heartbeat but um you know she's she's bloody such a little rock you know it, she's the one that sort of brings us back to life you know back to ground zero and just without saying it but can get us back to chill out for a bit you know you don't you don't have to do it all I'm still here like come and do something with me and to our credit, you know, we, we obviously hit the ground running when it all happened and, hell, as Kate said, we thought, you know, 
five grand at the most and we'd donate it on to someone and that'd be us. And next minute there's planes and trains and automobiles and, you know, there's stuff going everywhere and we got Meg's full support to do that. Tick, you're um, sitting up in Darwin because uh, that's where your work is and Kate, you're down in Catherine, so I reckon you can afford to take a risk here, mate. You won't get a stick here until you get back home. Tell me about Kate. What is she best at? What, uh, what do you love about this woman? <laughs> well, she's always a boss. You always know what you've got to do. It is tough on parents when this sort of thing happens and, you know, even right at the start a lot of people said, you know, hey, is this really such a good thing? You know, are you putting too much pressure on yourselves? And I think it definitely has, in a way, you know, brought out both our strengths and both our weaknesses, you know. like Come on, I'm trying to nail you down here, mate. Tell me what Kate's good at. Well, I did. She's the boss. She's good at telling me what I've got to do and when I've got to do it and how I've got to do it. And, you know, the organisation and the <laughs> and the passion and, you know, it's it's just the when you got someone else beside you rather than in front or behind, then... You can move a lot of heavy stuff when when it's like that. So you know, when two people are pushing, it makes a it makes a big difference to both. So come on, Kate, you got to have a turn now. You can either tell us what you're good at, or you have to get an answer for what Tick's good at. Listen, um, this is how I ended up in the territory. I followed this guy up here. I think a long time before we lost Dole, he was um, he, he's my guy. He's my he's my best friend. He's my dad's partner. He doesn't look like he could dance. He, he actually can. <laughs> yeah. So. We boot scooting or ballroom dancing? Uh, a bit of, it's a bit of both. I think it's made up. <laughs> All made up. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I know he's got my back and, um, you know, if, if I have to be in the trenches, that's the guy I want to be with. So, um, yeah, and... This is this has been a really really hard journey, and um, you know I'm privileged, and I guess we get asked so many times, you know, how how do you guys cope with the grief and the trauma? And I honestly look at them and I think because I've got him on my team, like uh, I don't know how to explain that to somebody else um, who who doesn't have that in their life, and um, you know it, it, that just must add a whole dynamic to healing because, um, yeah, so he's, he's my rock. <laughs> Kate, you talk about following him across to the Territory from where? Where did you guys grow up? We're Queenslanders originally and um, I grew up in central Queensland in Springshore and he was just across the range at Tambo and um, I think we ended up working side by side on places actually. And, um, I decided I needed to go overseas and do my thing and he followed me over there it was crazy. Asked me to marry him for about the 400th time, I think, and finally said yes. I got sick of saying no. So, um, <laughs> no. Resistance um, resistance, Yeah, I believe that's your motto. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't understand was this would this would all, all, all be a game changer when um, he wanted to go to the Territory and I, I had to follow. <laughs> Tricked you with the old overseas trick yeah, while you're offshore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tick, you guys, you both came off places. Were you on uh, stations? What what did your mum and dad do? Yeah, mate, just um, mum and dad, you know, always on a place. A little bit around Longreach, a little bit around Tambo. And and as were Kate's parents. And, you know, it was just a, you know, I was a school of the air kid to a grade eight and then Mm -hmm. went off to boarding school and I didn't know there was that many people in the world. You turn up and you're like, wow, there's this many people in this world. And then, you know, you, you... Get involved in a sports day or something, and you're like, "Wow, there's even more people!" And you know, it was a, it was an eye opener. You know, I, I was not the, I was not the, uh, what would you call it, pin up student. Um, hey, looking at you, I can't imagine why not. <laughs> but um, I was, you know, I'm pretty sure there was a, if there had been a website back then of of governesses, I'm pretty sure I would have been right at the front there, going, "Do not ever go near this child." But um, <laughs> you know, I was, I had, you know. A good, you know, a good family that you know obviously saw a little bit of potential somewhere and put up with me. They didn't um, didn't send me off anywhere too far away apart from boarding school. But um, you know, the first couple of years of boarding school, I just thought, man, I must have been a bad, I must have been really, really bad because this is the worst punishment you could ever do to a kid. And after a while, I I remember talking to dad about it, and 
he said, well, it's like this, mate. He said, you can either go back there and go back and learn something or he said, you can stay here and keep swinging off that crowbar. It's up to you. And I thought, well, my hands have got blisters and blood and Yuri can be an old stubborn old bugger, so I think I might go back to school. And It changed my attitude and I finished year 12 and I got out the other end of it. Yeah, started work and definitely a lot of improvements. Kate, there's only just a couple of ridges between where you grew up and where Dick grew up, really, and the scheme of things. How the hell did you guys meet? Actually, I actually think we met at work right away. In the testing the memory out a bit here. She's getting a bit old. Right, you better start thinking about the dates, Dick. I'm going to ask you about them. <laughs> no, we met at work radio, and later that night had a had a dance with him, and that was that was about the rest of history. Then, um, funny how you keep running into people after that. And um, so you wanted to go overseas. Where did you go? Um, I actually went to Japan. I was um, breaking in and pre-training racehorses in Hokkaido. I always thought I'd end up in America, like in cutters or something, but funny funny how opportunities arise and life, life takes you in a different direction. And, um, yeah, I, um, I spent a season over there and before we came back and, and settled down and made our way through Queensland out to, out to the NT. I'll tell you what, I'll bet you're the only one in Japan that took your own strapper. Yeah, yeah. well, it looked a bit like that after a few months. <laughs> <laughs> and let's have a bit of a journey across the Barkley. You guys ended up at Eva Downs, 2008, nine something. Gen- January 3rd, 2007, I think. How did you get that job? Why the Territory? Tick actually wanted to go to the Territory, and it was back at, back in the day when, um, when you found jobs in in the um, country life, believe it or not, and um, way before Facebook came along and everyone was on the internet. And um, anyway, we were we were working a job that neither of us particularly liked and we couldn't see it going too much further. And um, we'd, we'd been to the Territory the year before for my sister's wedding and met a few people. And so I applied for a job and the lovely HR lady um, rang me back and told me she didn't think we had enough experience to to do the job and I took that reply and rang the people that I'd met the year before mm-hmm. and um, they said, best you fax us through your resume <laughs> and um, tell us when your husband's home and we'll have a chat to him and within a few weeks we had a, had a job and we got a little life up and a friend helped us, helped us move two kids and, you know, ten horses and three dogs across the ter- to the territory. So, um, yeah, we started out at Eva Downs and we were there for a few months and um, uh, one of the boys at Brunette ended up with a, a job that he'd been waiting on so we were promptly transferred across to Brunette and um, it was it was eye-opening. We'd never experienced anything like that at all before. You know, there was, I, I don't know, there could have been 60-odd staff there at, at the mm. time and we didn't have a house. We had a, a little gooseneck that we were planning on rebuilding but at this stage it was literally just a shell with some toolboxes with all our worldly possessions in it. And um, uh, We were there for two days and we got a call up to the big house and they asked me if I wanted to be a camp cook. Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't too fussed about that because I'd met a few of the other headstockmen pub and I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I can go out and cook for these guys. They seem a bit wild. Um, but they assured me, no, I could go to my husband's camp and cook for him. <laughs> and um, so we we drove out and I think camp was about 80 k's away from the station and, and we spent our first eight months out there. Dick, what was that like? Territory, she's pretty wild. Your wife's the camp cook. I remember being on Newcastle Waters. I think we are up to about our 12th cook in one season to the point where the boss drove down one night and said, next one that makes the cook go is going to be the cook. It's a pretty tough job, I reckon, if it's not the hardest one on a stock camp. But you got your wife out there. What was that like? Uh, it was it was good. You know, it's funny. Still, people that we talk to now that were working for us in the camp there as first years and second years and third years, and you see them at a wedding or you see them at wherever, and you know, it's still it's still ticking mumsy. We had the kids out there. We were, we were lucky enough that they could just blend in and they'd do their school and they'd catch their ponies. Well, not ponies. They'd catch their horses and drive down to the yards and, you know, pretend they were going to help us yard up and normally start directing traffic on the two-way and confuse chopper pilots and start whistling dogs and just a fun, casual, easy-going life. You know, they were big, big, long, long days, but you are never, ever tired then. You know, everything was just, just a good challenge. Be some of the longest days you'd ever put in, I think, but, you know, you're never, ever tired. You just jump up next morning and... Look forward to going and doing the next thing and thousands and thousands and thousands of cattle every day. And, yeah, it was just a, a great 
a great job, a great experience. It was a great family life. Camp was young. Everybody was just everybody. You know, the washing machine was full. Nine times out of ten it wasn't because Kate's OCD wouldn't allow it to be like that. And the, you know, all the shirts would have to be hung up in a line and then all the jeans and then all the white socks and all the black socks and then all the blue socks and, you know, the different coloured underwear and sizes of underwear must have just driven her OCD crazy with that many pairs, but she survived. But, um, Kate, how lucky were you? You guys had a washing machine. We had a cement mixer and you only ever got, like, Four washes out of a cement mixer till everything was just shredded. Yeah. I know. And if and if I unplugged the washing machine before I went from the wash cycle to the rinse cycle, um, I didn't get electrocuted. So that was super cool. Like I was pretty special. <laughs> what about for people that haven't been out in the bush on a stock camp? What does your kitchen look like? Uh, so my, my kitchen was a 40-foot trailer with a, a cool room in, in one end of it and mm-hmm. um, it actually had like a massive big, I don't know, six or eight burner stove. It was huge. A tiny little bit of bench space and, and an urn and a sink on the other side and then the boys had built some shell, like a sort of a, a bench with a seat. You had to face the wall like we're in the naughty corner but um, we, we rearranged a few things downstairs and we sort of had a, you know, everyone would sit around like a big family at night time and after the first week when crew actually started to speak to me, um, it was, yeah, it was fun times. It was, it was good times after that and, um, yeah, so that was that was my kitchen. It was on wheels and when you needed to move to another set of yards, you locked the door and away you went, put the stew on the floor and put bags of potatoes around it so it didn't, didn't and dinner was all but ready when you got there. What were the boys like? Because ordinarily those stock camps are full of young fellas. Some have got some idea, some have got no idea. Uh, you said they didn't talk to you for the first week. Why did you stop feeding them one day or something? Uh, I, well, I think um, I think the rude shock of probably going from a head, single head stockman who, I don't know, probably seemed like a whole lot more fun than um, mm. this random family with two little girls and, uh, a mum that was intent on raising little ladies. So um, they, um, you know, it took, it took them a while to come through, but, you know, obviously I could cook a little bit because they started talking to me. <laughs> um, but, no, look, um, I think I think every every camp's got a couple of kids that have went, they went to pony camp once and they can't ride, you know, even though they tell you they can, they can't. Um, you've always got a motorbike head. You've always got a couple of kids that are, doing it tough and you've always got to know it all and you've always got the one that's going to have three too many beers and you know I, I think as as the years went on the faces changed but the the identities kind of stayed the same so you know it was always always a bit of a mixed bag and I don't know I never I never really thought about it back then but I guess um as time went on I you know I thought I'm the first person they see in the morning most of the time and sometimes I'm the last person they see at night and mm. you know why not make their life happy and um, you know, you'd get someone creep up into the camp trailer and ask if they could peel potatoes or... And where were the kids from? Were they Territory kids or Aboriginal kids from the Territory? Always a few few Aboriginal kids. Um, there was a community, um, oh, the Borrelula and um, Corella Creek and uh, Tennant. Like, we had mm. kids from sort of everywhere, but um, then we had kids, kids that had been through King's boarding school or, you know, any... any Boarding, girls boarding schools in Sydney. Um, you'd quite often get a, a little run of Central Queenslanders and maybe mm. kids and families that you knew. And I don't know, it kind of went in cycles, really. You could end up with a whole team of King's kids. And I don't know whether they all signed some pact in year eight that when they got to year 12, they were going to the territory for the one camp. But, um, you know, it, it's funny. It goes in cycles. And we've, we've honestly, we've had kids of all, all races and from all walks of life and from all sorts of family situations and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously been a privilege to be a, a big part of their life as well because most of them, and there, there would be very few that don't still stay in touch. Bush oysters, Tick, uh, were you feeding the boys at smoke time or you're on for them or you're not? I had a, a cook, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ever bring them back to camp, Kate, and make you cook them for dinner? We didn't cook them for dinner. We've done a few few rissoles out of them and, you know, mushed them up for city kids and or, or visitors or trainers or, or whoever passes by. And so it's always a, a good joke and, um, you know, we kind of grew up on them as kids, so it um, didn't really phase us too much. And But, yeah, 
it's, a, it's always it's always a good laugh. Oh, I like that you tricked them with the rissoles. Tick, everyone in the world knows what a bush oyster is. Can you just uh, cross-check and let them know for us? <laughs> the bush oyster is the famous calf testicle that you cut out of a male calf um, <laughs> and um, to make it a it calf, for the want of a better word. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then obviously the branding furnace there. And, and, I mean, we've all done it. Throw them on there where you let the next one up and grab it and throw the next couple on there. Uh, you can got a little bit of chilli sauce there. You don't have to stop very often for lunch. It's, you sort of keep going all day, really. Oh, dear. So um, how long were you out there, uh, Territory, working on the stations? What happens next? We, we, you know, we did that for... I don't know how many years and travelled around and then um, I got the bright idea that I was going to go and become a millionaire and work for myself and that was a stupid idea. But um, anyway, it was it was a good experience and then um, ended up doing a, doing a lot of work for a, a good mate of mine on a place and, you know, everything from, from driving the trucks or, or fencing or building some yards or doing a bit of mustering or whatever and, then unfortunately he was in a in a helicopter crash and he died um, died there one day while we were mustering. So that was a you know, that was a tough a tough day. Um, known him for a fair while on and off. Then you know in those couple of years had grown to be a, a pretty good mate. And you know that day was it was just one of those days. You know it was we look back on it now and there was sort of four of us there. You know three other pilots and and myself and then a couple of the crew that were you know we were a pretty close bunch of mates and you know to, to have to sit there and and watch that and you know just literally sit there through that for the days you know I used to think Jesus that's that's the worst thing that will ever happen to me you know I'd lost my dad a few years before that and that was that was pretty ordinary too and you know then that happened and I thought Jesus Christ well that's me done you know I'm not I don't have to go through anything any worse than this you know I've had my fair share and um yeah so I mean we we stayed there then the family and we sort of picked up the pieces as best we could and and um and ran ran that place for them for for another couple of years and until Dole died and you know then there was just it literally there was just for both Kate and myself there was just too many memories there you know you just no matter what you do where you turn around which water you drive to which gate you go through there's you know there was always a, a story and a yarn about something that you know referred back to one or both of them, they were both, um, you know, both him and Dole were both characters. You know, they both, they didn't take up too much room. They were always living right on the edge and easier to just move on and, you know, and start start a fresh life. So that's what we, that's what we chose to do. And, you know, we moved to Catherine and the support of the local community around Catherine was, you know, amazing as it was around the whole of Australia. But, you know, we, we found somewhere to live there and got helped out a lot there and got a few little jobs and, you know, little jobs turned into big jobs and and um, you know, since then this job's turned into a full-time job for me now and it's um, it's something I never thought, you know, if you had asked me four years ago, let alone 14 years ago, if I'd be working 90% of my time in an office, I would have said no way in the world, but... You know, it's it's a job that every day is uh, another wonder what's going to happen today. And, you know, Kate and I talk every morning, every night, and she says, what are you going to do today? And I say, just answer my phone and deal with what comes up. And um, then she, or I'll say, I'm going to do this, this and that. And then, you know, that night she's going to say, what did you do done today? And I go, nothing. <laughs> so. Tick, do you reckon... Um... Do you reckon we do enough with our young people growing them up, talking about loss and grief, what happens when you die, how do you cope around it? I, for me personally, I don't remember ever having a discussion about it at all except being dragged off to mass on a Sunday or whatever and saying you go to heaven or hell and I was pretty sure which way I was headed. Um, but are we doing enough for Kate or Tick? Oh, well, I don't know, mate. I mean, it's sometimes it is a subject, I think, that we... I don't think we deliberately choose not to talk about it. And I don't think we deliberately sweep it under the carpet, but I think I think it's just one of those things, you know, um, as a community, we I hope and I think that we prefer to dwell on the better side of life, you know, the happier the happier sides. And I think, you know, the death and, and the separation, you know, 
kind of probably just gets shelved. And I, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know personally I, I try to forget about it as much as I can, whether that be bury yourself in work or, or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's a tough question whether we should talk about it more or whether you, you just deal with it as it comes up. Or jury's out on that one for me. Kate, what about for you? Um, Dolly, where is she now? Do you have a sensor around or is it just that's it, you're finished when it's up? But what do you think? I, I think we've come a long way in the last 20 years as far as dealing with grief and, and honestly it's not the same journey for everybody and mm. um, I know losing a, losing a brother at, um, you know, at 16 and, and he was 14 and that loss, I, as a sibling, was a completely different grief to losing my father-in-law or losing mates, and um, and I underestimated how traumatic that must have been for my parents. I guess um, losing a child is indescribable, and losing a child to suicide is probably up there with one of the most traumatic life pains that you'll ever go through and um, I think that um, you know talking talking about her and having people that can tolerate um, you, you know me mentioning Dolly's name or the fact they remember her birthday or mm-hmm. you know that they'll send a picture and say I oh, wouldn't wouldn't Dolly have loved this place or this thing or this whatever and um, you know that that keeps her, her memory alive for me and, I, and I'm, I know people would rather just shut off and never mention their name again but um, you know she was she was such an important part of our, our life and, and I, I guess comparing losing my brother and my daughter um, you know we probably didn't do that enough as kids and maybe it would have made made that healing process a lot better so but look, honestly, the resources around um, you know mental health and, and counselling, and it, it's not it's not perfect. It's not perfect yet, and it's and it's not accessible to everybody all the time. But I think I think we're a long way from from where we were 20 years ago in respect to where she is now. Um, just be on the high beam most nights. Yeah, she's everywhere. Tick, Kate, collect for a sec. Mental health, nobody talked about that when I was at school. I never heard of mental health. But now it's it's everywhere. It's in school things, it's in policies. We have to have policies on it in our workplace. And, but what is it? It's a, it's a good question. You know, you're not the first person to ask me. You probably might be the last person I stumble on the answer for. But No one else would answer that question. I don't know, mate. I think, I think mental health covers a lot of things. You know, I think one of the biggest things around mental health is your attitude. It's a place that... It can bring you undone. Um, um, it can be a scary place. But I also think at some stage of our lives, you know, everybody goes through a dark patch. Everybody everybody ends up somewhere they don't really want to be and don't know how to get themselves out of. I, I think the biggest thing about mental health is, one, you know, being able to talk about it. And I think we are getting, well, far and wide, we're getting so much better at that. Um, mm. being brave enough to say, you know, I, I can't, I just can't be an adult today. I just, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be by yourself for a day, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know, that mightn't be the right advice for people, but I know from my point of view, you know, I've had to learn to go, you know what, I just, I just need to jump in the car and go for a drive and just, you know, be away from everybody, you know, just be myself, do what, you know, go and get a coffee, go and just drive, you know, um, go home, sit on the couch and stare at the wall and mm. think about what goes through your head, you know. It's, but at the same time, when you do that, you've got to be prepared to go and see some, you know, go and see a mate, pick up the phone, make a phone call to someone and, and be big enough to say, I'm having a bad day. I need someone to talk to. Do you think we do that well enough as blokes? I mean, uh, going for a drive, well, you're on the right spot in Australia to do that because you can just keep on going forever. <laughs> as blokes, do you think we do it well enough? I think we're getting better at it, whether we do it good enough or not yet. I mean, it's it's that male thing, isn't it? You know, we can handle it. We'll, 
we'll sort it. It'll be right. I'll go and find something else to do, and I'll be busy, and I'll forget about it. Um, I'm I'm probably the worst for it. I'll I'll make every excuse under the sun not to stop, spend five minutes on myself or whatever it may be. But I definitely think you know, with the likes of so many groups, and for me, definitely, it's it's far more accepted for want of a better word, and talked about now than what I think it ever has been. So, mm. uh, Look, in my experience of working with a lot of young fellas, I don't hear those common things, take a teaspoon of cement, harden up, men don't cry. Uh, you know, we're pretty good at it and through the work we do, we try and have those conversations and start doing with those guys so that they can see the big tough guys going, you know what? It's okay to not be okay, but as you say, how many different services and things are there now? And um, I think the girls probably uh, beat us hands down on that one and have doing it for a long time. Kate, what are you thinking? It's tough asking for help, you know, to to be that vulnerable, to to show that vulnerability, and um, mm. and I guess in our situation where it was so so public. I imagine that both of us went through days that, um, you know, there was days where you just that stiff upper lip. But honestly, you know, there, there were days that that line, that mantra was was the only thing to get you through. And, um, you know, I think I think it is tougher for men. I, I do. I don't I don't know why. I guess we're, we're made up differently. And I think women have their their circle of, of women all the time, whereas, you know, blokes cut each other on the back and let's build a fence. And I've seen it time and time again through through different um, losses in my life and, you know, blokes fix a fence or build a shed and do things like cook and clean and but they talk while they're doing it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys build fences in silence or something? Or we just talk all over shit. Yeah, yeah. Like as long as you don't address the problem. But you know what, um, like Tick said, I think um, – I think we are getting getting better and um, it, it still astounds me, though, that people don't know where to look for help. There are so many organisations and, and places to, to seek counsellors or, or talk to someone and if you're in the trenches, it is really difficult and I've had this conversation with hundreds of people, where do we find help? How do we do that? And um, that's something that I would like to improve for people. I don't know whether we do it through our website and um, and basically create a roadmap so it makes it easier for people. Mm. But um, it's I think I think the acknowledgement that mental health needs to be looked at like we look at physical health has improved. And and as long as we keep incorporating those conversations with our young people, then then the next generation should should be able to. You know, I'm not saying they're not going to have any trauma or any loss or they won't have a grieving process, but it should be a much smoother road at least and they'll have better tools than we've had. For people out there that are, are struggling, whether it's kids or adults, what, what's your advice to them? Um, what do you get on the internet and look for stuff? Or? Look, honestly, every little community has, um, you know, there's 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 psychologists and there's counsellors and um, I'm, I know as a rural community there's always um different uh, phone services. But look, for, for kids, there's Kids Helpline, um, there's there's Lifeline, there's a Grief Line, there's Headspace. Um, most workplaces have ESA. Um, most, most small towns will have a government-funded counselling service and whether a lot of times it's, it's a self-access. Um, if, if you honestly don't know where to go or where to call, you can always start with a GP because GPs will be able to refer you. And um, I know it's awful and it's scary to have to to ask for that kind of help, but it's not like you'd stay at home and mend a broken leg by yourself. Mm. Why would you stay at home and mend a broken heart by yourself? You know, so there, there are so many wonderful services out there. So, you know, and they're, and they're just a few. So Beyond Blue, Beyond Blue has a, a specialised mm. kids helpline as well. So, you know, jump do jump on the internet, and um, you can have a look through through our um, website as well, and we have referrals on there. And we'll put a few names and contact numbers up, podcast thing as well, so we'll make sure we get on top of that stuff. You know, um, I reckon the hardest fight I ever had when I was a young fella uh, was with me best mate. I came across him bullying this kid. Clearly, one could fight and one couldn't fight, 
and he was a soft guy that everyone went, mate, you're a, in old school terms, you're the poofter and rah, rah, rah. Something about it, I just couldn't stick. And I ended up having the biggest punch up with me, mate. And I kind of, I try and make sense of this shit today. And I look at bullying. We kind of sorted stuff out in the playground a little bit. It seems to me now that it's just got so much more complicated as it social media stuff, it's kids on phones. What You guys are um, working in this space or lived in it a little bit. I guess what what's your sense of it all? You know, you don't drive a car without learning how to do it. You don't. You know, you don't ride a motorbike without learning how to do it. And you don't, you know, you don't give your kid a, their first push bike unless you teach them how to ride it. Mm. But yet we've, we've pulled into a, a way of life that we give a kid a device and mm. we leave them with it. You know, there's, there's so many things that we can do as parents, you know, it's great. So, you know, the internet's a wonderful place if you know how to use it properly. You know, it's like going to, it's like going to a show or, Come some like that, you know, it's, it's a great place if you go about it properly. But if you want to go about it in a bad way, you're going to find trouble. And it's no different to the internet, you know. And I think a thing that I've learned is it's not a case of taking devices off kids and, and not allowing them to use it because, I mean, at the end of the day, look at us now, we're sitting here mm. using a device to talk to each other. Um, my work revolves around three freaking screens sitting on my desk. Um, yeah. Spend all that telephone on me. It, it is the world we live in now and taking it away is not going to help. We need to sit down and teach our kids how to use it responsibly and make them aware of the consequences of what can happen when they do stuff online and how it will always be there. It doesn't matter whether it's Snapchat or House Party or text message or Facebook or Instagram. You put it on there, mate, it is there forever. There is no yeah. getting rid of it. And, um you know, we just we just need as parents, we need to educate our kids that you know that is life. It's not like having a one-on-one conversation and what's said is said, and it'll never come back up or it can never be proved. You you type in a phone, or type in a computer, or on an iPad, it is there forever. What um what advice tick would you give to parents um, with kids with their devices? So you're saying don't take it off them. They're going to be here somehow. They're going to access it. Sit down with them, mate. You know, there's there's a thousand programs. Yes, we have we have got a few programs, but mm. there's plenty of them. But sit down with your kids, talk with them while they're using it. Be that parent that says, "What are you doing? Who are you talking to?" You don't need to be invasive. You don't need to jeopardise their privacy and and whatever. But make them feel comfortable that if they are in the spot or they have done something wrong, make them feel comfortable enough to come out and and admit it or ask for help. You know what. Like, if we can get our kids to come and ask for help when they've done something wrong, whether it be online or whether it just be in the playground, you can fix it. You can't, you know, as a parent, you can't fix what you don't know. Mm. You know, so many kids think, shit, if I tell mum and dad this, I'm going to be in trouble. Or, yeah, you might be in trouble for a bit, but there's ways, there's programs, there's, there's places to go to to learn how to, how to do it properly. So I think as a community we need to embrace those programs. I think it's a pretty good analogy. Uh, not many of us would give a car to a young person and say, there it is, go and work it out. Um, you know, To me, from the stuff and, and the area I work with the kids, uh, to me it's a bit like handing them a loaded weapon and they don't know how to fire a gun and they're walking around like some of the things that go on and the numbers just seem to be increasing dramatically. I find it uh, pretty frightening. Really, Kate, what, what's your take on it? Yeah, look, I I think um, Tick's dead right of taking devices away and, and, you know, technology is obviously the way of the world. And I think education is the key. We've put a lot of time and effort into creating programs that are, you know, age-appropriate language. We, we have our DigiPledge, which is basically like a digital licence. So it's your, it's your training wheels. And I think, you know, if parents sat down and there's some hard conversations in there. There is. Um, I, I think with the way that, that technology works and the way that apps are designed um, to have the ability to remove the face, basically, you know, it's it's um, it, it's not a person to person, so you don't you don't see the effect of what is being said or or you know it's 
it's only after you post that picture and um, and and it's spread around the school and it's only after the fact um, that you've got to deal with this stuff and um, honestly the only way to deal with that is is through education which is what we've spent the last two years trying to um, you know trying to set up and make more accessible for for parents and and for kids actually. Do you think parents are the best ones to have those conversations? Not all the time, absolutely not. Um, you know, and if if it's if it's an auntie or an uncle or or a family friend or or a sports coach or someone these kids feel comfortable with, it definitely a lighthouse. Um, you know, it, hmm. it definitely needs to be. And I know that my girls um, use different adults in their life, and you know, if if it was something that people were concerned about, they'd go, listen, we don't want to alarm you, but, you know, we've had this conversation. Mm. I'm like, well, okay, we don't want to betray their trust, but this is what I think as a parent and, you know, and obviously these these adults are amazing people, so they deal with, with stuff and then, you know, the girls will eventually come around too. So we're talking about this or this happened and, um, yeah, so not all the time. It's not It's not all... You know, I had a conversation with a dad the other day and mm. he said, oh, I'm just having a rough time. And, you know, my son thinks he's all that. I said, you know, it doesn't hurt if someone else took him. You don't have to do all the hard yards yourself. And, mm. you know, you've, I said, I, I know how many boys you've been into shape over the years. You don't, you don't have to do it all yourself, mate. And, mm. um, you know, the relief in his eyes and I, I for, for a dad to come in and, and say that and um, and have that conversation, I thought, God, I hope this changes the, the course of this kid's week, you know. Yeah, I don't, I, I think parents, you know, probably uh, we are hard on ourselves and we do think we have to do it, do it all. But if there's someone else you can lean on and, you know, and have help you out, then why not do it? Start learning. We share a couple of common things. 2019, you guys were in Canberra and I was trying to work out what this whole flame and circus show was i certainly didn't think i had a snowflakes chance in l and then when i heard my name called out i went no this is what what is this nonsense um seriously there are so many cool people in the world busted ass youth worker from armadale what was it like for you guys i I think when we were nominated for for the state awards um i think we've been mustering we we might have even been out of service and when we hit service again um bing 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 yeah and I remember getting getting this phone call and I'm I'm going, excuse me, are you who? Oh, okay, oh, okay. you've already spoken to Tick. And he said, what? <laughs> and she's like, this is kind of a big deal. I really need you to be in Darwin on, you know, whatever whatever day it was. And I'm like, oh, mate, like we're, we've got choppers and charts booked. I don't know whether we can do it. I'll, I'll speak to him and I'll get back to you. And, and Tick goes, yeah, I don't know. This lady rang me. I, I don't know, mate. What <laughs> no, we... We had no idea. We um, we casually walked up to Darwin and they said, oh, you, you need to invite some friends. And we're like, oh, we don't want to offend anyone. And it would just be silly to make them drive all the way to Darwin. And finally we relented and we actually asked a couple of friends to come along, but not not for a second. So that was, um, you know, that was the first massive shock. And then Canberra, I think we signed up again. We just said, yeah, we'll be there. If it makes you all happy, we'll be there. We didn't have a very good speech planned or anything, so I think Tick ripped his pants and all sorts of things. It was just a you know calamity of errors, really. Tick, what was it like for you when you heard your name's called out? A shock would be an understatement. Um, you know, the, the so many emotions, there's so many why, how come us. The realization, you know, when people start saying, "Oh, you know, how good is this?" and blah blah blah. And, and you're so, you know, you're so grateful and still grateful. You know, unbelievable award. Um, I don't think I'll ever trump it in my lifetime, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's still so bittersweet, you know, like you'd give it all back in a heartbeat um, to not go there, if you know what I mean. You know, like, yes, we do great work for, you know, probably thousands of other kids and mums and dads and, other people, but to be selfish, you'd give it all back and go back to the start without even thinking twice. So, I mean, as I say, unbelievable privilege, unbelievable, you know, reward, but um, definitely, definitely a lot of bittersweet in there as well. 
What is the dream with Dolly's dream going forward? Just upwards and onwards, mate. You know, obviously we've got big dreams when it comes to um, around schools and community um, organisations and stuff like that that we want to get to. But, I mean, as I said earlier, we've got no limit. If we tick all those boxes, trust me, it won't take us longer to find another 10 jobs to put on the list. You know, it's mm. it's young people's welfare or state of mind or happiness can, you know, I don't think there's any end to it. There's always going to be more work we can do somewhere, some somehow in regards to something if it, to help to help anyone. It doesn't even have to be young kids. It can be anybody. So, yeah, definitely sky's the limit for us, mate. There's no end goal, that's for sure. Kate, how much fuel you got in the tank? You're going to keep a foot on the pedal here, or are you doing go? I reckon, I reckon I'm just coming good, actually. So, um, I reckon there's a lot of miles left in this body yet. So, um, as if we can keep spreading the word, and we're not a global name yet. So, um, when we are, we, we can reassess. Uh, sounds to me like you're getting pretty close, and um, mate, I just tip my hat to the pair of you. Uh, you know, you've done that through the most traumatic period your lives probably got tipped upside down with traveling and do it and then you're trying to get back to some sort of normalcy and and i think it's what everyday heroes do get up pull the boots on punch through that door and somehow keep going and um the more you guys do uh the more kids and big people and little people that get helped and um just huge respect for you both and i really appreciate you uh, hopping on and having a yarn here Thank you. It's been a privilege to have a chat with you and um, save a few more lives. If anything you've heard today is causing you concern, reach out to Lifeline 131114 or Beyond Blue 1300 224 636 or any of your local support services. Radio, that's the long and short of it for this episode of Everyday Heroes. We're always on the lookout for more everyday heroes. If you've got a mate, or maybe you consider yourself a bit of a hero, we'd love to hear from you. Send your story our way by emailing inquiries at backtrack.org.au. We'd also love your support. If you rate us, rate us five stars. Then get behind the podcast by subscribing or donating at backtrack.org.au forward slash donate. Everyday heroes, stamp their boots on the ground